This is Sports Daily on Wichita's number one sports radio, 97.5 and 1240 KFH. Touchdown, Kansas City! Hey, Chiefs Kingdom, we have you covered. Joining Sports Daily Live, executive producer of the Chiefs Radio Network, Dan Israel. And welcome into hour number two of Sports Daily here on KFH 869-1240. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Castor, Jad Chambers producing for us. We welcome in Dan Israel for... Uh, you know, timing of a weekly visit, Dan, that has a different tone today. We always talk Chiefs football. We always get the latest about the Chiefs. But I think all eyes in the world of the NFL are with DeMar Hamlin and the situation that unfolded last night. Dan, you've been around a lot of football. I would imagine like the rest of us, this is something we've never seen before for you, too. Yeah, you know, I think in 35 years or maybe 40 years if you count uh, my board op days, I've, I've never seen anything like this. And we, we were a part of, in 1992, we went up to New York and were playing the Jets when Dennis Bird was paralyzed. And I, I remember that game very vividly where he was on the field for, I think, 40 minutes before they were finally able to transport him. Uh, but we resumed play. It's a very different situation where he was conscious and, and able to kind of encourage his teammates versus last night. I, I think, you know, when he, when, when Hamlin first fell down, I thought maybe he was knocked out, but you could just tell by the urgency of the medical staff. I've never seen anything like that. I've never seen doctors almost in a panic like that on the field before. And, uh, of course, they took the break. They came back. And when I saw an ambulance on the field, another thing I'd not seen, ambulances are at every stadium. Uh, there, there are standby crews every single game. There's an ambulance just out of sight. You can never see it. It's usually in the tunnel. Uh, there is a, a trauma specialist. There are paramedics. There's an airway management doctor. At every single game, this exists. And, and simply for these types of moments, but it's just so rare. And to see somebody uh, on the field like that, you know, it, it, when Joe Buck announced they were giving him CPR, that you just don't see that on the field. And, and of course, it traumatized the players significantly to the point where I, I don't think they could have played the game. We had an event, Chiefs Radio, uh, again, we were playing the Jets. I think it was 2017, maybe 18. And one of our crew had a heart attack during the broadcast right at the two-minute warning. And and I just remember how flustered, you know, I, I had, I've been on the air doing Chiefs for uh, three decades, uh, almost a thousand games. And I remember how flustered I was uh, in that time. Your concerns are completely, you know, you're distracted, you're concerned, you're upset, and it's hard to get through the work. Uh, the interesting thing about this, guys, is I just don't know. We are so late in the season I don't know how they recover from the football aspect of this with these two teams. I mean, you're talking about two teams that had Super Bowl aspirations, two teams. That game last night meant something and in the standings. And now you're looking at, you know, do they, will they be able to replay it? Will the, will the league push the playoff schedule to allow Buffalo and, and the Bengals to have an opportunity here? It's an interesting uh, situation and it's it's one obviously right now with with Demar Hamlin's critical situation 
all eyes, all focus as it should be are on him and, and, and his health. But uh, the football part of this is, is a quandary as well. Dan, you're around professional football players uh, nearly every day. Um, and we talked about it last hour that when you play football at any level, uh, there's an inherent risk of injury, right? And, and players know that going into it. They know that they're probably going to get injured at some point. Um, but this was the first time that we've seen an inherent risk of mortality, right? Um, a, a life or death situation on the field. Uh, and just looking at the reactions of the Bills players, especially uh, with their teammate laying on the ground uh, that way and the, the you know, medical staff working on him. Um, with your background and working with professional football players uh, the way that you have throughout your entire career, talk a little bit about what you took away from seeing the emotions of the Bills players on the sideline. Yeah, you know, you, you got to read it in their faces, right? I mean, how often do you see grown men cry at work? Yeah. And so it, it becomes very real. And, and even, again, for someone like me who's seen an awful lot of football, I mean, I've, I've worked so many football games in my life. I immediately, uh, I, again, when, he, when Hamlin first collapsed, I thought he'd just gotten knocked out. But almost immediately after that, the panic that was on the doctor's faces, you could tell it was something different. And as you saw all those players standing around, some of them couldn't even look in his direction. Some of them went to the other end of the field. You got a very a real sense for this is something nobody's used to seeing. And that's what's so disturbing about it, right, is, is you know, you, you get used to the sport's a violent one. You get used to people breaking bones. Uh, we've even been – there's been a number of, of – people seriously injured, paralyzed, careers ended on the field, all of that. But in the long history, one more than 100-plus-year history of football, there's only been one death on the field. And so it's a very rare event, uh, It's and, and there's just no way to prepare for something that tragic. And, and I think the hardest part about this was to watch a guy being given CPR and defibrillated on the field – uh, right in front of you, it just has to be disturbing to a level that, you know, we're not used to seeing a, as non-medical professionals. And, and, and when you've got a guy who's unresponsive, who can't give you the thumbs up as he drives off on the gator cart, how do the players go on past that? How do they move past that? I, I mean, these are 22 to 35-year-olds. Uh, you know, one of the things that, that you realize in your 30s is, you're not indestructible, right? <laughs> Prior to that, we all think there's nothing that can hurt us. And here you're looking at a guy who is being carted off in an ambulance, unresponsive, and you have no idea whether he'll survive the night. I, I, I just don't think it would be would have been possible for them to continue uh, the game. Are you okay, Dan? Uh, Dan Israel, executive producer of the Chiefs Radio Network, with the way it was handled. Um, I, I know that there was a lot of heat and there was some confusion on or, or dishonesty, who knows at this point, on whether they were going to play the game in the short term. But again, it was a unique situation. I kind of felt like they were going with standard operating procedure initially which was once the ambulance leaves the, leaves the field, you know, they, they kind of get back warmed up and go. But this was a unique circumstance, clearly. Um, and, and I think ultimately they got it right. What, how, how did, what was your take on, on the process of things last night? 
You, you know, I thought about this a little bit uh, overnight because uh, of just the situations that I've been in. Uh, uh, one of the more interesting uh, adjustments that I've had to make over my career is the Javon Belcher situation that happened here in Kansas City. There was just no precedent for it. You know, there was there was this unfolded right in front of our eyes. Uh, I was called by Chiefs President Mark Donovan very early on a sun, Saturday morning, and nobody knew what to do. And I think one of the things that you saw last night was that 40, 50, 60-year-old men were handling this better than 20-year-old colleagues uh, of Hamlin. And so I think initially probably the league did think, look, there are millions of dollars at stake here. Well, let's give them time to recover, and then let's get back out there and play. I, I don't know that that's what the sentiment was, but that's what it felt like given that it took them more than an hour uh, to call the game. But I think what became very real very quickly was that both Sean McDermott and Zach Taylor, I thought, had a good sense for their players and where their players' mindsets were. There's no way those those young men were going back out on that field. And there was no way they were going to go out and be able to play with the intensity uh, that it takes to play in the National Football League, not after witnessing that. And I thought they were both in touch with that, and it almost seemed like to a defiant level. It's like, look, the league can say the show must go on. We're not going on. Uh, we've seen that before, you know, in, in the National Football League. And and I think it, it, it just it, – it's the one – if you – peel back all the layers of this. I just think it took everybody a lot of time to get in sync because there's no, there's no plan for this. I can tell you from behind the scenes standpoint, we as broadcasters, the leagues, the teams, the trainers, the doctors, the medical professionals that are at the league level, the independent people that are involved with this all have a little bit of an understanding that, you know, when an injury occurs, we're going to do this. If it's a significant injury, we'll do that. But when it's life and there's no plan for this life and death situation that that occurred last night. And so I, I think everybody was off book and I think it just took everybody a long time to get in sync. There's really only a couple of people that have the ability to call it. Should they have called it earlier? Probably. I mean, I guess what's the, what is the, there's really no damage in, in calling it early or not calling it early, I think they did the right thing, which is they let the players decide. I felt like the locker rooms decided that. And once they called the commissioner, I think the commissioner agreed to post, to uh, postpone the game. And I, I just don't know. And I think to, to the point that this is so uncharted water, the league as of today, some 12 hours later, 13, 14 hours later, they still don't know how they're going to play this game. They still don't know what's going to happen. Will they give the Bills and the Bengals a tie? Uh, will they not just say, okay, they played 16 games, they'll take the two and three seeds as they were seating, sitting before they went into this game? I mean, there's no answers right now. We're literally sitting here half a day later with no answers, not, not to Hamlin's health, not to what should have happened, and not to what's going to happen. I, I just think that's how uncharted this water is. Dan, you've worked in broadcasting for a long time, uh, and you work with one of the best in Mitch Holtis. Talk a little bit about uh, how you felt like ESPN covered this uh, last night. I I was blown away by the way that Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, Lisa Salters, Scott Van Pelt, the studio crew, um, how they handled the entire situation. Um, I I thought they struck the right tone. 
um, and, and especially considering that it's unprecedented, um, I thought that it was handled in a really good way. I'd love to get your thoughts. Yeah, you know, I've heard some criticism about the studio crew uh, at ESPN, Susie Kobler, uh, Adam Schefter, and Booger McFarland. I, I can tell you, having been on both ends of that stick, when you're suddenly told, hey, get your butt upstairs to the control room. We're going live. You guys are going to be the show for the next half hour. <laughs> it's you, There's no preparation there. And so yeah. I, I commend those guys for just being able to pull it together because, look, I mean – Everybody watching that game, it wasn't just the players, everybody watching that game was disturbed. And it's hard to recover, to go on the air and try to sound eloquent when there's nothing, you have no information, it's very difficult. So I think, I agree, the studio crew I thought did a great job. I thought the two things that I heard Joe Buck say in there, and, and guys, I'll be honest with you, I'm not a big Joe Buck fan. I've, I've done a couple interviews with him and he's a very nice guy. Just don't always agree with you know him as a broadcaster and i know a lot of that stems back to the baseball thing but uh two things i i heard him say yesterday that i thought was perfect was there's nothing else we can say here we're going to send it to break i mean that's where they were right yeah. you're sitting up in a booth some 55 60 yards away watching this thing unfold and again i i remember in the dennis bird situation we had no idea we didn't know that he was paralyzed at the time we just knew they weren't moving him on the field. And I remember Kevin Harlan continuing to describe, you know, now they're touching his wrist and they're doing this and they're, well, they, the, the players were obscuring. They couldn't even see that much. So there was so little information to actually broadcast. I thought they did a great job. Uh, it's, it's, you've got a two, three hour show there of space. And now you don't know what to do with it and trying to fill it. I've done it with rain delays. Uh, it used to be there was no rain delays in the NFL. Now we can be, you know, postponed due to weather. So I've I've been in that role. It's very difficult. I, I think those guys did a great job. I, I can't imagine doing it under those circumstances. So I think those guys did a great job. And, and look, could, could things have been done differently? Yes. I mean, it, 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 they take their first break. They don't even know the gravity of the situation. It wasn't until they came back with the wide shot and the ambulance on the field that it was like, wow, this is, this is not normal, right? And I, and I thought they did a good job. I thought Aikman did a good job describing it kind of from a player's standpoint, from a locker room standpoint. But, you know, when there's no information like that, it's very difficult to fill, you know, an hour or two of time. Uh, whether or not some producer is trying to air his commercial inventory or not is irrelevant. When you're, when you're trying to generate content, that can be a very difficult thing. Dan Israel, executive producer of the Chiefs Radio Network, joining us uh, as he does every week here on Sports Daily. We really appreciate it under these interesting and strange and scary circumstances. So what happens now, Dan, to the rest of the teams across the league? You know, the Chiefs are in a unique spot, and, and they will, we assume, talk today. And they're sitting here waiting like everybody else, but... I wonder what the vibe is going to be like for every team across the league as they try to figure out what happens next. There's a season to finish. There's a lot on the line this week, but they're concerned like everybody else about, you know, a colleague and, and the situation. How do you think this week goes league wide, not just for the two teams directly involved here? Yeah. I don't know if fans can really appreciate how truly little the community of, of NFL player active NFL players is. Uh, even though there's 1,800-something guys that play in the National Football League, 
so many of these guys know each other, whether they went to college together. I, I guarantee there are people on the on the Kansas City Chiefs. There are players on the Kansas City Chiefs. There are coaches on the Kansas City Chiefs that have a relationship somehow with the, somehow with Demar Hamlin. At the very least, with the Bills and, and the Bengals. So there is a lot of heaviness that's going to be in every team, and they're going to have to figure out a way to to forge the season. You know, to 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 move through that. And it's not going to be easy. I think for the bills and the Bengals, it's a incredibly interesting uh, dynamic here. You know, the bills gave players the choice to stay in Cincinnati or return to Buffalo. Uh, Half or more of the team last night did return to Buffalo. So they're, they're not even in Cincinnati. So they're not going to play a game today at noon. Uh, That game isn't going to happen. When are they going to play that game? If they play that game at all, normally you would return home from an away game, and coaches would begin to work on game planning for next week's game on the plane ride home. Uh, So you've got, you know, the, the, you can, we can all look and say, when are they going to play the Bengals and Bills game? Well, the Bills and Bengals both have a game this weekend. You know, I mean, it's, it's like, this is a, this is just one of those things. There's no real wiggle room, no margin of grace in the NFL schedule, especially as we get to this time of the year. You know, I, I think one of the lessons the league learned from the JFK assassination was when 9-11 occurred, we actually took a break. That was in September. There was a lot of room, you know, to make up games in the season. Same with COVID. We knew those games, we knew this was happening. We're talking about one week left in the, in the schedule. And, and a, a game that was supposed to mean so much to these two teams now isn't being played. We, you know, do the Chiefs retain the number one seed? Do the Chiefs somehow make strike a deal with the league to say let's throw out Week 16? I, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I, I just think there's so many moving pieces at this that the league really made the decision to postpone this game based on the players with no respect or with no idea or concept of how they were going to put the pieces back together on the other end. I appreciate that perspective, Dan, because I think it does provide a glimpse into how chaotic the next few days are going to be as everybody also waits on an update on DeMar Hamlin. I mean, that, again, it it remains the most important thing happening, but there are so many other things that are also having to happen at this moment. It is going to be fascinating. We appreciate that perspective. Um, And, you know, Good luck to you guys this week as well as you're going to work through a difficult situation trying to prepare for next week's game when probably a lot of people don't want to do that. We all just want to wait and see what the update is. Uh, it won't yeah, work it, that way, so we appreciate that as well. Yeah, it, it, you know, it's very easy right now where we sit to say, hey, this is all about, this is all about a man's life and death, and, and I appreciate that, and I agree with that, and I think that's the proper thing to do, but – there are millions of dollars at stake here. There are NFL locker rooms are have a, a an age spread from 22 to 35. There are guys that are on their final leg of their career that were on championship possible teams that are looking at this that they don't want their season to end. I mean, it, it, I, I think the next few days is going to tell us a lot. And, and unfortunately, God forbid if Hamlin's situation worsens, I don't know how the league's going to handle it. Uh, if he gets better, I think this will return to football very quickly. Uh, but I think the next couple of days are going to be huge. Uh, you, you know, as, as we sit now today, 
praying for Hamlin is all we can do, and that's the right thing to do, and that's what I, I would encourage everybody to do. But uh, it will be an interesting few days here in the National Football League. Dan Israel, we appreciate it. Uh, hopefully we talk in better circumstances next week as we get ready for the postseason. Uh, but until then, we will continue to follow and uh, just try and, and keep up with everything like the rest of the world. We'll do, guys. We'll uh, we'll make sure we talk to you next week under better circumstances. All right, there goes Dan Israel, executive producer of the Chiefs Radio Network. Really appreciate his insight of being inside an NFL organization right now, of being inside a broadcast booth in similar circumstances. Great stuff there. Uh, KFHradio.com, if you missed any of it, you can go back and get Dan's perspective. We'll come back. We'll talk a little college basketball. Sports Daily continues in hour number two. on KFH. Welcome back, everybody. Sports Daily on KFH. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Caster. Uh, still waiting on any updates for DeMar Hamlin. We don't have one yet here today. We'll continue to follow that. Um, and to follow the situation as a whole, praying for his recovery. Uh, Tommy, as we look across the sports landscape tonight, you've got college basketball. It's been really interesting timing on the holiday weekend in the sense of when everything was played and since we've been on the air and back on the air, we've had these bowl games played. We've had college basketball in full swing. Uh, there's a lot of catch-up today uh, that we're just not going to really get to with all the circumstances of last night. But college basketball, there are games this evening, you've got both KU and K-State playing. Pretty big ones, in fact, both on the road. K-State goes to Texas. Uh, KU goes to Texas Tech. Each of them have uh, their first conference game in the books. Both of them won those games. KU uh, was just a little bit dramatic in theirs, uh, probably more so than they wanted to against Oklahoma State at home. But they got the win. Now they go on the road. Kansas State with a pretty impressive win over West Virginia, we think, in overtime. West Virginia did lose again. I believe that was last night to Oklahoma State. Um, so as we look at the Big 12 now, and, and I don't know if you've seen it, Tommy, but there's a, a graphic going around now of some analytics of you know the, the teams with the re most difficult remaining schedule based on analytics, and it's like all 10 Big 12 teams at the top of that list, like every single one of them. Big 12 is going to be nuts this year. Uh, I, I think don't be surprised by close outcomes like we saw for KU against Oklahoma State. I think we're going to see a whole lot of that all season long. It's a great league top to bottom, and they both get in action tonight and, and a chance for big road wins. Yeah, there's not a, uh, a cupcake game in the entire conference schedule. It's a juggernaut of a league. Paul Savage on the show on Friday said he wouldn't be surprised to see uh, the Big 12 champion have five losses, um, and I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. No, um, I don't either. You know, you've got you've got really, really good basketball teams throughout the entire conference and even teams that are on the lower tier of the Big 12 are still really good teams. Uh, a team like Oklahoma State 
Um, I believe they were picked last in the Big 12 or next to last in the Big 12, um, maybe right outside of Kansas State in the preseason poll. Uh, they they played really, really good against KU inside Allen Fieldhouse over the weekend. Um, and it, it took a big-time comeback from the Jayhawks to get that win. Um, so Mike Boynton has a really good squad down there in Stillwater. And then we saw Kansas State uh, upset West Virginia in Morgantown, and, and West Virginia was a top-25 team. Um, so, th- again, there's no cupcake uh, game in, in the Big 12 this season. That's what makes this conference so exciting to watch, game in and game out. And it means that there's not a game throughout the, what, three months that conference play goes on that you can take a night off because there is uh, an argument that any team could beat any team in this conference. Uh, No, I mean, it's going to happen. And, you know, five losses, if three is a lot of years, five, yeah, man. I mean, it, it, it is, it is hard to imagine that, that, that a team can navigate it. I mean, we just, we saw Kansas survive Oklahoma state at home. And there's a lot of people I feel like that might have put Oklahoma state at the bottom of the league to start. So I, I I think it'll be interesting to see what it does for seeding and tournament resumes, because at the same time as you're probably going to take more losses than you'd like, you're going to have the opportunity for high quality wins. Every time you play, I do think we could see nine out of 10 teams make it into the tournament this year. And I think it's totally reasonable to see that. Um, it's going to be wild. And I love it because I want to see, you know, KU, I, regardless, I've got a pretty good feel for KU, I think. Like, I feel good about the way I feel about KU. K-State, we're still learning. Man, that was a big time uh, way to to kick off the conference season at home, get the overtime win against a ranked team at the time. Now you got to go to Austin and face one of the most talented teams in the country, and that's fantastic. Cannot wait for that. Both of these are eight o'clock tips tonight. You'll hear KU right here on KFH, but it's going to be a blast. I mean, everything we'd hope for the conference season, we've played one, maybe two games. And it's showing us exactly why we're excited about it. Like, yes, this is what it's going to be. We're going to find out a lot about the Wildcats. I'm kind of with you. We know who the Jayhawks are. We know the talent they have, but we're going to find out a lot about Jerome Tang's squad uh, over the next week or so, because of course they played West Virginia. They're on the road at Texas and then they play Baylor. Um, so they've got a really, really difficult start to their conference season. Uh, they're 12 and one right now. Uh, there, I think that there, there was a, um, a, a legitimate conversation with the Wildcats about, all right, we all know their non-conference was really good, but it wasn't super tough. It wasn't over the top tough. We'll find out more about them when Big 12 play starts. And the fact that they were able in their very first conference game to go in and knock off a top 25 West Virginia team, uh, that's great. And we'll see if Jerome Tang can get uh, his team ready to go for Texas and then, of course, Baylor. I, I, I'm I'm really interested to, to see talent to talent to Texas. That's that's what I want to see. Yep. You know, whether they win or lose the game, it, it's a big ask to have them win that game. So whether they win or lose it isn't totally critical, in my opinion. What's critical is if they seem to match up talent wise. That that's what I want to see because that's the piece. I mean, we know Keontae Johnson will. Uh, but does the rest of the roster match up talent wise? And that that'll be. Do you think you know just 
as of right now, I mean, they're 12 and one, right? And, uh, you know, with what we, with what you saw against West Virginia and then getting ready to go into Texas and Baylor, and this might be a premature question to ask until the Texas and Baylor games are played. Do you think Kansas state is for real? I mean, do you think they're legitimately for real? Yeah, I think they're for real to be right in the middle of the pack and and maybe can get into that top tier in the Big 12, and that's absolutely for real because that puts you as a, I don't know, anywhere, what what's their range of outcomes very likely? Anywhere from a four to a seven seed, which, you know, I, I think if we, if we look back to the expectations out of the gate, that is a tremendous achievement for year one. Yeah. Initially, we were all excited about year two, and... If Jerome Tang can handle and navigate the portal this well, as he appears to have done, because remember they lost Nigel Pack and they lost so many players, um, and they were able to piece this together, I, I mean, I, I, I legitimately don't think it's going to take very long if one more year for K-State to be like feeling like they need to be competing for Big 12 championships, which is, which is yeah. wild to think about. I wasn't sure. Um... I wasn't sure at the beginning of the year that they were going to reach 15 wins and they're at 12 right now, you know, through one conference game, they're at 12. Uh, And and so I think that those expectations are, I mean, they're obviously shattered uh, that I had at the beginning of the season, but that's a testament to uh, what Jerome Tang is building. Um, I like Jerome Tang a lot. I like the energy he brings. I'm looking forward to him playing Baylor, you know, and, and facing off against Scott Drew. Uh, his former boss. I think that's going to be exciting to watch because he matches that energy so well. Uh, and he brings that excitement and enthusiasm to a Wildcats squad that's needed it for a long time. He's re-energized the program, the fan base, all of that. And it hasn't taken much time for him to do that. Um, you know, he's been on the job for for less than a year and spent a lot of that time building a program and bringing in players and working the transfer portal and recruiting and that's all well and good, but then you get them out onto the court and they're winning basketball games and the fans ha- are excited again. And they haven't been excited for Kansas state football in a long time. Even when they were winning, I think that a lot of the fan base, they were that they were disillusioned uh, with Kansas state basketball and the head coach at the time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. There's no question. And they're, and they're back and everyone's appropriately excited. I think. Um, so here we go, right? Like it's coming for them, and and that's that's really cool to see. Uh, Wichita State quickly, Tommy has played now two conference games, zero and two. Um, really disappointed in the East Carolina game, um, just in the sense that they gave up seventy nine points, and you know you come home for the conference opener, and you can't give up seventy nine points. That's not the identity of this team. If this team's going to be successful at all. In the conference, they're going to have to play really high-level defense. They played high-level defense in the game at UCF, but they couldn't get anything going offensively. Man, I don't know. I, I don't know. I think that, you know, again, the apathy is the danger, and it's sort of creeping up now. It may not even be sort of creeping up. It may be there, and that's really tough and we'll see they got to bounce back they don't play till thursday so they're going to get a little extra prep time here but man i don't know it's not looking good right now right out of the gate for the shockers and the american and and what's happening yeah it's not good um and 
I don't know. It, we uh, we talked about it quite a bit on Friday, Paul and I did while you were out. Um, you know about the Shockers and and just you know sort of the the direction of the program and and you know it seemed like at the time, you know East Carolina was the only team in the American that had not beat Wichita State since the Shockers had joined the American. Uh, and Paul and I both said. Uh, their opportunity for, for the game over the weekend was probably the best opportunity that they had had uh, to win against Wichita State since the Shockers joined the American, uh, and we were right. Um, at this point, I don't, I don't exactly know what to say because it was such a different, a different game as far as the way it was played. The offensive output was there, which we haven't seen in previous games. Um but the defense wasn't, and they end up losing by 10 to an East Carolina team picked last in the conference. Um, so I, I don't really I don't know what to say at this point. Um, I, I'm not sure how how much more disappointing it can get than an outcome like that, especially at home to have a team that, um, you know, is in the lower tier at the bottom, the seller of the American come into Coke Arena and beat you by 10. Uh, not a good look. No, it's not. Um and and yeah, I mean they just they're just going to play it out this year and and do what they can. But giving up seventy nine points to East Carolina, yeah, is not going to be the way that Wichita State wins well, games. And, you know, we had we had Jeff Charles, the voice of East Carolina, on the show on Friday, and uh, one of the things that he mentioned, which Paul and I uh, talked about afterwards, was that if East Carolina could hold Wichita State into the sixties, that they would have a good chance to win the game. And at the time, I kind of I kind of chuckled like Wichita State isn't even scoring in the 50s right now. Uh, so and I, I thought that was kind of funny. Well, they held them in the 60s and East Carolina won the game and they were able offensively uh, to make it work. Um, I, you know, I mentioned a few minutes ago that at the beginning of the season, I didn't think that Kansas State would reach 15 wins. I'm not convinced right now that Wichita State will reach 15 wins uh, on the season. Um, I'm, I'm kind of. Uh, I don't know. I'm kind of at a loss. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's just not looking good. I mean, that's seven wins at, you know, 15, they'd have to win eight of their next, what? Eight of their next 16 or, or 18 games. They, they can get there. Yeah. They, Wichita state's just going to need to, it really is going to need to be one game at a time here. Um, you know, I, I don't know what else to do other than to take them one game at a time. I just did not see 79 points allowed to that team coming. Yeah. That makes it hard. It makes it hard again to, to wonder and, and because that was at home too. Like, again, the one thing you should be able to count on here is good defense, right? Like that's the bread and butter. So when that's not there, hopefully it's a one-off and we don't see some sort of trend because that would, that would be a sign of, of worse things. 869-1240, we'll come back. Uh, we'll get you uh, an update on uh, the big story of the day, if there is one. Sort of revisit that a little bit. Um, DeMar Hamlin waiting for an update, hoping uh, for some good news. But we'll get to that as we make our way through and wrap up this Tuesday edition of Sports Daily.
All right, welcome back, everybody. Sports Daily on KFH. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Caster, navigating in a difficult Tuesday um, as we all sort of react to something we've never really seen before, and that was on Monday Night Football. DeMar Hamlin, early in the game, uh, makes a tackle, got up, collapsed, uh, and then, you know, as it unfolds, we're seeing CPR, and we know defibrillators were used, and players are reacting in ways we've never seen before, and we don't have information, and it's all unfolding on live television. And we hear it was cardiac arrest, and his heart stopped, and they got his heart back going. He's now in critical condition in a hospital in Cincinnati, and that's what we know. We really don't know much else, um, and we won't probably until we get you know solid information I don't know what to think, Tommy, not having any real updates this late in the day um, on a Tuesday. I don't know what that means, Um, but something will come out at some point. I know that as of last night, he was, you know, put on, you know, a breathing tube. Again, I don't know what that means. I just know that critical is the appropriate word because this is still very much a fight right now, it seems. So we're waiting on that update, and at the same time we're waiting on that update, we're waiting on what happens in the final week of the regular season, what happens with this game. And I know those things are secondary. They, of course, are secondary, but they're very much in the spotlight as well because there's a lot of things involved with this. It's not as simple, and that's the thing too. Like It's not as simple as the NFL just – wanting not to lose that that money of the game. Like, it's not that. It's that you have fans to consider. You have stadium workers to consider. You have schedules to consider. You have television partners to consider. Like, all of these things that come into play with any sort of movement now that have to be considered at the same time, everybody is waiting on the most important thing, and that's Damar Hamlin. That's not up for debate. Literally everybody agrees on that. But at the same time that's happening... There's a whole separate series of chaotic events trying to happen at the same time, and it's and I don't know what to expect. Yeah, I think back to a couple of years ago when the, the pandemic was in full swing and there were games that were being rescheduled and moved around all the time. Um, I think that season we had football games every day of the week at just about any time of the day. Uh, I remember watching a game, man, it was like a Wednesday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, that was an NFL game that was rescheduled due to the pandemic and due to COVID outbreaks and things like that. So as far as rescheduling games is concerned, we hadn't seen a lot of that um, until that point. I mean, there were occasionally due to weather, you know, things like that. There would be games that would be moved or postponed or, you know, different things. But um, a couple of years ago, we saw games being moved to other days and postponed and pushed back. And the NFL got really creative with their scheduling to try to make sure all the games got in. Um, what makes this one different, obviously, is that we're talking about, um, a human life here and, uh, we have no update and we probably won't have any update for a while. And so I can understand the NFL not wanting to make any decisions until there's more clarity on the situation, which who knows when that's going to happen. And the fact that we're so late in the season, this game, I mean, think about it, think about this. And I know this is all secondary and, and not important to everything, but, Going into this game, I mean, it was being billed as the game of the year, right? I mean, the the stakes were huge, and you're talking about two of the best teams in football squaring off. Uh, 
massive seeding implications, playoff implications, and we still don't know how that's all going to pan out. I'm thinking about, you know, Dan Israel uh, on our airwaves just a little while ago talking about these different scenarios that none of them are, are perfect scenarios, right? Um, you know, do they even play the game? Do they call it a tie? What does that do to seeding? What does that do for the Chiefs? Um, I don't know the answer to those questions. Ultimately, it pales in comparison to the importance of uh, DeMar Hamlin and his his livelihood and his life. But um, there are really, really intriguing questions that are yet to be answered. Yeah, and it's you, you can't just wait. I mean, if you're the league, because everything that will happen in the aftermath has to happen very, very quickly. And again, a lot of things to consider. I, I don't envy the position, obviously. And I think the difference between now and when we look back to the pandemic era is everybody knew that was coming, right? They'd had an off season to prepare and come up with plans. And if X happens, Y and Z then happen. They're not going to have that now. And so, and there's not going to be a perfect answer either. I, 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 you know, I asked Dan Israel cause I am really curious, like what are other teams mindsets going to be here? Um, like if you're the chiefs inside that locker room and maybe they'll tell us this week, yeah. How concerned are you in the, you know, equity of the schedule when it comes to that number one seed? Nobody wants to say that now, but what are we, what, you know, what's the cinema going to be a week from now? And and that part of it is really interesting. We have an update, Tommy. Yeah, we do. We just have a quick update from the family of Demar Hamlin. Uh, this just came out moments ago, um, basically thanking and, and acknowledging uh, the medical personnel. Um, Basically, then no new updates, really. Uh, at the very end of it, they do say, please keep DeMar in your prayers. We will release updates as soon as we have them. Um, so that's coming directly from the Hamlin family. Uh, that came out five minutes ago. Ian Rappaport uh, from the NFL Network uh, shared that on social media. So that's the latest we have right now. All right. Uh, that's that's a good timing on that. So no updates expected right now, uh, at least while we're on the air. We'll continue to do that, and you'll, you'll find those updates here on KFH throughout the day. Uh, coming back, we'll tell you what's on the networks today. Sports Daily wraps up on this Tuesday right after this. Fans. <laughs>